All right, well, good morning, Calvary, once again. It's good to see everybody here today. Um, Let's turn in our Bibles to Galatians chapter 5 for our message, and then I'll, as you're looking at that, Galatians 5, I'll thank those of you who prayed for me this week in my voice. I uh, was sick uh, last week and lost my voice. I'd never really had that experience before, like completely gone. And I couldn't, I couldn't even squawk at a certain point. It was just gone. And Tuesday morning, I uh, oh, whispered to Alexa, uh, how long can laryngitis last? And I don't know if you know this, but when you whisper to Alexa, she whispers back at you. <laughs> so she whispered back to me, you know, that it could last two to three weeks. And I thought, I can't be without a voice for two to three weeks. And Graham right around then texted if we had any other prayer requests for the prayer email. And I felt silly asking for something like that. But I was like, I need my voice back. And uh, he gave it back. It's still a little raspy and a little um, uh, sensitive as far as uh, speaking. So I'll have to pace myself. And with the Doctrine of God class tonight, I had to even hold back on my singing more than I would have normally just to make sure I can make it through this. Let's see, two weeks ago, uh, we began a little New Year's uh, mini-series that I I like to do things like this in January every year, getting us started as a congregation into the new year. And we're thinking about the idea most years of, hey, we need to grow as Christians. That's the design. We are born again new, and then from that moment on, I don't care how old you are, you begin growing as a Christian, maturing. Ephesians 4, the whole church is being grown and uh, matured into the image of Christ, into uh, full maturity in Christ, and so we are to be pursuing growth, and actually pursuing growth is a command. Second uh, Peter 3, that we're to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, That's actually a command given to us. And so I like to talk about growing as disciples, as Christians, and uh, this time of year. And I chose Galatians 5 as the text that we would look at for uh, a couple of weeks, three weeks now it will be, and verses, specifically verses 16 to 26, with the concept of, I I mean, we, we use a lot of terminology when we talk about growing as Christians. But one thing we always uh, we use is uh, the phrase to grow spiritually. I may ask you what I can pray for you about. Well, I just want to grow spiritually. Uh, and that's a good thing. But it's a, little, uh, it's a little not concrete for us, right? It's kind of vague notion if we're not fully aware of what that means to grow spiritually. And a passage like Galatians chapter 5, and specifically now verses 16 to 26, helps us uh, understand what it is to grow spiritually. So let's just begin by reading those verses. Galatians 5, verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. 
But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Now let's just pause and ask God's blessing on this text. Our Father, we come before you now. This is a text about your Holy Spirit and his work within us. And we confess to you now that we need his help in understanding and applying the truths of this passage. As we talk about him generally this morning from your word and look at his work specifically from Galatians 5, we pray that he would be glorified and we ask that we would have a better understanding of what it is to possess the gift of the Spirit in us. We pray that this would enable us to pursue true spiritual growth this year and be being changed by Him and be walking by His power and keeping in step with Him. Help me now as I teach. I pray that your Spirit would gift me in this. And we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. This is a text about the Holy Spirit and His role in a believer's life, right down to their very daily life and hourly life and momentary life. This is a text all about the Holy Spirit. We last time just parked on that phrase in verse 25, and since a lot of you were not here, let me just bring that up. He says, if we live by the Spirit, what we learn in the scriptures is that when you are born into this world, you are without the Holy Spirit, and actually in you, you are what we would term spiritually dead. There's no life in you spiritually. And that's why we need the new birth that the Holy Spirit brings. The same new birth that Jesus talks about in John chapter 3 with Nicodemus. Nicodemus, you're very religious, very knowledgeable. 
You're serving God, so to speak, with your life, and you're attempting to do good and keep the law, but unless you are born again by the Spirit, you cannot see or enter the kingdom of heaven. So we're talking about a new life that the Spirit brings. This cannot be emphasized enough. Salvation, true Christianity, is more than a decision that is made or a prayer that is prayed. It is a new life given by the Holy Spirit of God, whereby a person is changed to the extent that Paul calls them a new creation in Christ. The creative word, just as... Just as in the beginning, Genesis chapter 1, we're introduced to the Spirit of God and He's hovering over, right? The creation, but it's void and without form. And then in must, that's our life before Christ. And then in must flow the Spirit, bringing the life of Christ into the soul and making the person new. This is something you cannot do for yourself, by the way. This is something only that God can do for you. And so we go to Christ for it, the one who offers it. That's where we were at. You cannot grow spiritually this year if you do not have the Holy Spirit. You can improve yourself morally. You could maybe break some bad habits, right? You could maybe even stop some of the sins he's talking about here. Stop doing those in your own willpower and then begin... doing something new, but it's not true spiritual growth, you see. When we are talking about spiritual growth, as in Galatians chapter 5, we are talking about an inward change first and throughout that then will manifest itself in outward change. It always begins internally. An interesting little factoid about the word spirit is that when you look into a text, you have to determine when that word is used whether he is talking about the Holy Spirit or whether he's talking about your spirit. Now, the translators of our Bibles help us with that. Like in this passage, it's all the Spirit, right? How do we know that? Because when they translate it, they put a capital S on there, right? So immediately they knew and they're cueing into you. He's talking about the Holy Spirit specifically. But if you look as an example at the last verse of Galatians chapter 6, verse 18, he says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers, amen. And that is not capitalized, though it is the same underlying Greek word that Paul wrote. It is not clear, it is clearly not the Holy Spirit. It's not the Spirit of God. You have an inner person in you. That's what it is. Your spirit is your inner man. Paul talks about it in other places. We could summarize it with the word heart. Not, of course, your physical heart, but your, that inner part of who you are, right? Your spirit that is within you. And true Christianity is referring to that which is a change brought to that inner spirit by the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit being in you and continuing a transforming and empowering work. 
Otherwise, it's just a bunch of rules. A lot of time when people think about Christianity, they think about what Christians say you can't or can't do. They think in terms really of law. Uh, okay, I'm a Christian, so I can't do this and I can't do that and I can't do this. And as long as I'm doing those things or not doing those things, I'm okay. But true Christianity is spiritual in its nature. We have a spirit and God through his spirit brings life to that spirit and newness to that inner man and then that results in a new life and a new way of living. It must start in the heart. If you want to grow spiritually this year, you need to acknowledge that. You need to understand that your spiritual growth begins in here, in your heart, not in just what you're doing or not doing, in that inner person. God promised this spirit all the way back into the Old Testament. God promised that there was a day coming in which his spirit would work in a unique way And he would give people a new spirit, lowercase s, with their hearts. And that, of course, is Ezekiel 36, if you could put that up on the screen. He promised this, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put in you. Notice your translators are helping you. New spirit being your inner man. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit... Now, who are we talking about there? We're talking about the Holy Spirit. I will put my spirit within you. And here will be the result of that. Cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. The reason this was so significant is because this was first delivered to that, those Jewish people who had been given the law with all of its commandments, its rules, its statutes, and its ordinances. And as you read through the history of Old Testament Israel, you will see that the vast majority of them didn't keep God's law, broke God's law, became idolaters. This was the whole point of Ezekiel. They were banished from the land because of their grotesque sin against God and the breaking of his law. God says that essentially telling us Christians and them that the natural person, I mean the person that hasn't been born again by the Spirit cannot keep the commandments of God. They can't obey So if this is going to happen, if you're going to be saved and I'm going to be saved and we're going to walk in God's ways and live in ways that are pleasing to him and obey his law, he has to do all the work in our heart. He has to put a new spirit in us, a new disposition towards him because by nature our disposition towards him is hostile to him. And Paul will say that the natural man cannot submit to God's law. It isn't even possible. Not from the heart. Oh, again, you can become outwardly conforming to some things while your inner man is uh, 
raging with sin and disobedience to God. And then it is by his spirit, the power that he gives us to then that causes us then to walk in his statutes and to be people who are careful to obey his rules. This is what God has promised to do and it was going to come through the Holy Spirit. This is true Christianity. And and in the letter to the Galatian churches, Paul's opposing Jewish professing Christians. They were Jews, called them Judaizers, and they were obedient to God's law, and they were really promoting circumcision. And then Gentiles would come to faith, or non-Jews would come to faith in Christ, and they would come to them and say, now you've got to obey the law now. This is how this works. And Paul is fighting against them, saying that's not how spiritual growth works at all. It goes by the Spirit. Not that we throw out the law, The law gives us light. The law is righteous. The law is good. The law teaches us what's right and wrong. But the life of a Christian is not a law-based life. It is a spirit-based life. It is a spirit-empowered life. That's why when he mentions in verse 22 and 23, the fruit of the spirit, which I don't think is an exhaustive list, by the way, but we'll talk more about that next week. But he's mentioning what the fruit, the fruit that it, he produces, he says these things, and he says against these things there is no law. So if you walk by the spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh because look where the spirit is leading you. From the heart, outwardly, into things like Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. So if you focus less, so to speak, on the law and more on what you know and where you know the Spirit is leading you, you'll be just fine. This is a spiritual life. Jesus in Matthew chapter 28 verse 19 said this, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And it is interesting to note at this point in the history of our Bibles at Matthew 28, the Spirit had not yet been given. Matthew 28 comes chronologically, not just in your Bible, but in time before, roughly, what, 50 days or so, probably before Pentecost, in which the Spirit in Acts chapter 2 was poured out. And yet here Jesus says, now go make disciples and baptize them in the one name, right? Not names, but name of the three persons in the Godhead, the Father, Son, and the Spirit, equally baptized into the name of the triune God. And one of the persons in the Godhead is the Holy Spirit, meaning this. When you came to faith in Christ, Jesus wants you to know that you have a relationship to and with the triune God. All three persons of the Trinity in you, for you, right? including the Holy Spirit of God. And it illuminates us if we say, well, Jesus, you know, it it gives the idea, you see these disciples of of Jesus and um, even when they were following him, didn't do great at following him. 
And we say to ourselves, well, I'm taught as a disciple, I have to obey Jesus. How am I going to do that? I know myself too well. People that are honest about themselves can say things like, I know myself well enough to know that I'm not going to be complete, uh, obedient to Jesus. So what is, the, what is the solution to that? Well, you have the Holy Spirit who empowers the disciples of Jesus to be obedient to Jesus. You see how that connects? The distinguishing mark of true Christianity is that we have the indwelling of the presence of the Holy Spirit within us. And what we find is that the Spirit's role in us is to enable us to grow spiritually, to obey Jesus, to become more like Jesus in our lives, beginning in the heart and working its way out into our lives and into our relationships with other people. Jesus said this in John chapter 14, verses 15 through 17. He said, if you love me, this is right before he goes to the cross, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. Depending on what translation you have, Jesus says, I will ask the Father, he will give you another helper. Some of your translations maybe say comforter or counselor. I think in this context, I prefer helper. Actually, underlying word for that is parakletos. Sometimes we hear it said the paraclete, who is the Holy Spirit. That word means one called alongside to help. And Jesus is saying to them, I'm leaving you in person, but I'm not going to leave you orphans. I'm going to give you another helper just like me. And actually, it's going to be better for you. Because he's going to be with you forever. You're going to know him. He's going to be in you. And he's going to help you now. And we can draw the conclusion that in at least one way the Spirit helps us is in being obedient to God. And in our battle against our sin. He is our divine helper. He is our empowerer, if you will. And he stays with us forever. You know, some of you may be looking back on this last year and you're even thinking of this year to come and you're saying, I don't feel like I made much effort in my walk with God and I don't feel like I've grown spiritually. I want to begin doing that now, but I know that I have faltered. Maybe it isn't just this year. Maybe it's been years be encouraged by this, that Jesus said, those who believe in him and receive the Spirit, the Spirit stays with them forever. There may be a sense in your walk with God where you were, um, in a sense, almost abandoned 
God and his ways in that, and you just became settled into some kind of sleepy state of Christianity in which you're not finding much interest to God or pursuing him. But know this. If you ever had the Spirit, he did not leave you. Meaning, good news, you can pick up right now with what you're learning right now about the Spirit, you can confess that sin and you can begin walking now by the Spirit. Right now you can begin this. He stays with you forever. And you'll notice what this shows, friends, and let me just draw this out now, a couple things that I'll just mention in, in the remaining time that we have primarily thinking about what we've just looked at generally, but also in the verses we read, verses 16 to 26, about the Holy Spirit. What God is showing us, and this is so important to catch, so if you've zoned out, zone back in, okay? Let me rein you back in. What he's showing us is that God is committed to us completely, perfectly, He's committed to our salvation and he's committed to our spiritual progress. And he demonstrated that, of course, first by sending his son, the son of God into the world, who became a human being for us, lived, died, rose again, and is now interceding for us. He is providing us salvation But secondly, and sometimes what we don't think about, is God shows his commitment to us, to our salvation and our spiritual progress, in then sending us his spirit, who dwells within us forever. That's commitment. God is infinitely more committed to you and your salvation and your spiritual growth are than you are to him. Our commitments to God are quite often pretty flimsy, pretty shaky. But God's commitment to us, friends, is an eternal commitment that doesn't start. He doesn't start demonstrating in an eternity future somewhere when we're heaven. He shows it to us now by giving us His Spirit who doesn't give up, who doesn't leave us, who continues to work in us and through us, even when at times we should be ashamed to say, but it's true, we seem to be working against him. This is why Paul will say in the letter to the Ephesians, do not grieve the Spirit of God by whom you were sealed until the day of redemption. Because the Spirit is not an it. The Spirit is He. He's a person within you and can be grieved when you fail, as an example, to walk by the Spirit. Paul says this in Galatians, or Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 to 14. In Him, that is Christ, You also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. 
Now look at this in verse 14. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory? Now the inheritance, of course, is what we're given in the coming glorious eternal kingdom of our God. You have a share in that. But how can we guarantee that we're going to get to it? Is it you're the guarantee of this? Your faith, your works, your knowledge, your service, your forsaking of sin, your pursuing righteousness, spiritual growth. Is that what's the guarantee that you make it to the end? No. He makes it very clear. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee. See, friends, when I got to the valley, I was struck by how many people I was introduced to just through the ministry of this church, visitors and such, and maybe if I can't remember, but maybe some that were there at the time and such that believed somehow, came to believe, were taught somewhere along the line that you could lose your salvation or essentially lose your inheritance. And that would be because, of course, there are some, well, rather vague verses here and there that people could point to and say, this seems to teach that you could lose your salvation, which when they're all looked at, clearly teach you are not going to lose your salvation. But let's just say that's what they're seeing in there. And yet we have a passage right here that is so clear. I, you, I don't understand how it could be in any other way construed other than the guarantee of your salvation is the Holy Spirit himself. If you have the Holy Spirit, and friends, this is supposed to be really good news. If you have the Holy Spirit that he guarantees you make it to the end, even when you falter, or fail, or stumble, or backslide, or sin. Can you imagine thinking that there's something you could do that could lose your salvation? I would think if I thought that way, I'd go crazy. I'm not even joking. Am I believing enough right now? What if I have a doubt? I just doubt it. I just doubted. I doubted Jesus. What now? What now? I'd be this paranoid, legalistic, scared person. Because, again, I know myself too well. If salvation, if God had left salvation to us to any degree, guys, we're, we're sunk. We have to understand that. The whole message of the Bible is you could not save yourself and you still can't save yourself. It is the Spirit who is the guarantee that one day we will be in the presence of God forever, enjoying His glory. The Spirit is the reason you woke up this morning believing in Jesus. He is the one who works that regenerating and 
rejuvenating and renewing and life-giving power in you each and every day and each and every night. He is the guarantee that you make it into God's forever kingdom. And also, friends, if you think about it, well, look at this in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 to 13. I'll, I'll throw a caveat in here. When some people maybe hear me say, God does everything for us required for salvation, they hear me say that we don't do anything. They hear me say something like, you know, even in our daily walk with God, we, we don't have to do anything and there's no commands and there's no more effort that needs to be put in or no more activation of our own will to be obedient and to grow spiritually. That's not what I'm saying at all. As a matter of fact, look what Paul says, Philippians 2, verse 12, therefore, uh, and this is uh, chapter 2 of Philippians, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, look at this, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That wouldn't be passive, right? That's you working out your own salvation, doing so with fear and trembling and Reverence to God, knowing this the whole time. Verse 13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. If you say right now, I want to grow spiritually in 2023. I, I want to do that. I will to do that. I desire to do that. Friends, where did that will come from? Or whom did that will come from? It came from God. He worked it in you. Otherwise, friends, you wouldn't care about growing spiritually. Do you know what? We could walk out of this church and find people shopping at Target right now who wouldn't give you two cents about their concern about growing spiritually. They don't care. You care. You want to. You will because God worked it in you. People talk often about and emphasize the will of man, the will of man. We have free will. God doesn't override our will. And I say, no, he doesn't. But he works in us in such a way to make us will. That's what a sovereign, all-powerful God does. He works in you so that you will will and you will work all for his good pleasure. I think it's important in talking about spiritual growth and the Christian life to emphasize these things because honestly, we have a tendency to not think about them much at all. To put more of the emphasis on what we need to do or not do as though my daily Bible reading is somehow magically just going to grow me spiritually in and of itself every day instead of acknowledging that I'm utterly dependent on God's Holy Spirit to keep working in me as I'm reading my Bible every day. Focusing on all of salvation, not just the forgiveness of sins, but all of salvation as a work of God alone in which he works in us everything required 
to be saved and to make it to the end. All true spiritual growth comes from God. John Bunyan is credited with this following statement. Run, John, run, the law commands, but gives me neither feet nor hands. Much better news the gospel brings. It bids me fly and gives me wings. Friends, if you start out this week, this year, thinking I'm going to grow spiritually and you focus first and foremost on the law and the commands and on your failures and what you need to do and what you haven't been doing, if that's your first and foremost focus, you will probably fail because it is only through the gospel and the spirit of God we receive through the gospel that we are given the ability to fly spiritually and to grow and to be and do what God commands us to be and do. You see, that's what he's saying. The law just tells you do this, but it's powerless to enable you to do it. You read the law and you say, I want to do this, but you don't have the power to do it. So what does the gospel do? It gives us the Holy Spirit. He enables you to. That means that every person in this room Every one of you who is trusting in Christ as a spirit, you can grow spiritually this year. There's nothing about who you are that hinders you from growing spiritually. This is for all God's people. All flesh who trust in Christ receive the promised Holy Spirit. Therefore, all who have trusted in Christ and have the Spirit can grow spiritually. It's not reserved for some select group of Christians, some super saints. Wow, they can really grow spiritually, but I can't. If you're thinking that way, it's because you're thinking that spiritual growth comes from you. It doesn't. It comes from God in you. That's really the secret us growing spiritually and understanding how all this works. So if you ever get well overwhelmed in the Christian life, if you are even discouraged right now because of your seeming setbacks and failures, I want you to do two things. Number one, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. Look to Jesus, the one who lived perfectly for you. Didn't we recite it? Wasn't that beautiful from the Heidelberg Catechism? It was beautiful. Look to the one who perfectly obeyed for you and then went to the cross and died for you and rose again for you. You look to Jesus and preach that, everything we've been talking about in Romans, preach that justification to yourself. I'm right with God because of Jesus Christ. But then secondly, if you're discouraged, remind yourself, preach to yourself, Galatians 5, that you have the Holy Spirit. 
that God has not abandoned you to yourself. God isn't some big ogre in the sky standing over his people and saying, well, this is what you should do and shouldn't do. Let's see how this goes. I think sometimes we think about God like that. Paul says in Romans 8, God is for us. And he proves it by sending his spirit to live within us. You think about how humbling that is. What utter doofuses we are. Think about that on a daily basis. And God in his love and humility condescends to live with, dwell within his people, living temples, holy places, the dwelling place of God in us. That, my friends, is humbling. And thinking that way can also help us in the moments when we're alone and we're talking to ourselves stupid things. How embarrassing. The Spirit's overhearing what we're saying. Or in the moments when we're tempted to sin. To remind ourselves, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit whom you have, whom you've received, who lives within you? To remind ourselves when we're stepping out in ministry we feel insufficient for that the Spirit of God is within us. That He will help us. He will gift us and empower us to do what we are supposed to do. Friends, I want you to look to Christ and remind yourself of the Holy Spirit of God within you, empowering you to live for God. And if we do those things on a daily basis, actually, then he will grow us spiritually this year. We're going to end it there. I'm going to pray. That was actually just my introduction to the message that I had prepared. So <laughs> sets me a little bit ahead for next week. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for lovingly choosing us and predestining us to be your children. Thank you for when it, the time was right, sending your son to redeem us from our sins. And thank you then when we believed, you sealed us with your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the awesome privilege it is to be temples of the Holy Spirit. We pray that, I pray, that every person in this room would be encouraged, empowered by the Spirit now to go and live for you to your glory. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.